Well, good evening, everybody. It's absolute privilege to be with you, and what a time to worship our great King. We've had five of these. This is our fifth and final one for the year, and uh, we were in Austin, Texas at the beginning of the year. We were in Detroit, Michigan. We were in Denver, Colorado. We hosted one, and then we hosted just recently in Chicago, and this is our final one for the year here. And I believe God maybe has just saved the best till last. And so it's awesome. And as Jody has announced so well, next year together in Chicago, come join us. It really is good to be together. It's great that we can come and have times like this. And uh, I love this region. It's been very good to me. Every time I put my feet in this region, I'm reminded of this is where I met my wife. Here in California, this is where I was released into full-time ministry leadership. I served on elderships with some of the people in this room. I've got only but fond memories. I've loved this nation, but I also love this region. And I want to just commend all of you who live here for staying the course, for continuing in what it is God's called you to through crazy, crazy times. But let me tell you, God's got much more, as we keep hearing, in store for us. Well done. It's been an incredibly difficult, crazy, wild year, season. I'm not sure if it's over yet, but it's been an incredible one where God has done some great things. And so it's just a joy to be with you. Thank you for your partnership. Thank you to this team that's come from around. Thank you for all of you who've come from wherever you've come. And uh, well done. Paying the price. Easy to say no in a season like this, but keep saying yes. And we do believe that there's a great, great thing God is doing in this time. And I've just enjoyed this evening. I mean, what a wonderful time of worshiping. And and we continue to worship. We haven't stopped worshiping. The whole time is worship. Everything we do is done to the glory of God. And we're going to worship through the Word of God and the response of our hearts. But well done to the musicians and those who led us in song. And interesting, the words that have come already. I'm actually going to preach from the one text that Josh actually quoted and read. So if you've got a Bible, let's go read uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to try and not get too excited because I want to make sure this evening I'm not hyping anyone because what I have to say is really good news, but it's also going to be challenging. And God doesn't look for emotion. God looks for faith. And I want to almost speak over us as individuals. God knew who would be here tonight. I didn't. I knew we invited everyone and we just don't know who shows up and who comes to what. But but God knew. And I believe He knew so much that He actually wants to speak to you as an individual this evening. And I'm going to ask leaders to stop looking around and not think, I'm glad they're listening to this and I wish this person was here. You're here and God's speaking to you. Before we look out there, we need God to challenge us and address us and and help us to understand what it is He's doing in this time and in this season. It's been crazy, no doubt, friends, and I I think it's probably going to get a little more crazy. I don't know what that means, but like 2019, I think the best way to describe 2019 is stay away from negative people. 2020 is stay away from positive people. 2021, stay away from all people. That's kind of the seasons we've been in. But God has not said any of that. God has called His church in this crazy time. And and I've kept saying that God never paused what He was doing in this season. The mission never stopped by the moment that we've been in. 
God never paused what he was doing. What I do believe he did is he paused what we were doing to remind us again of what he is doing. And then also to remind us that apart from him, we cannot do anything. And so while it's been a difficult season, and while it's been a crazy season, and and while it continues to be something we've never walked through before, God has not stopped what He's called us to. He's brought us back to what He's called us to. And tonight He wants to remind us, and tonight He wants us to say yes. Tonight He's saying yes, and He's calling of us to say yes again in this great region. I've been studying the book of Jonah. It's a dangerous thing to study the Word of God, but to study the book of Jonah is a very dangerous thing. And let me tell you, it's got more than just a a, a story about a fish. Was it a whale? Was it a fish? We don't care what it was. It was something that God provided to help Jonah get his life sorted out to get back to what God called him to do. I've read through that. I've been challenged through that. And God's taken me through those four chapters again and again. I find it incredibly interesting that in Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said to Jonah, Go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up to me. But Jonah ran away. And disobeyed. And then God seems to have moved his problem with Nineveh to his problem now became Jonah. The messenger that he wanted to use to reach cities and regions and nations became the problem. And so God in his wisdom and sovereignty took the messenger and began to deal with the messenger. And he dealt with him, and then there's the belly of the whale in chapter 1, chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came a second time, and guess what? Go to Nineveh and preach against it. Same word. Didn't change. Who changed? Jonah. And so I want to just tell you this evening, God has not changed, cannot change, and neither has His purpose changed in and through all this. What I believe He's had to do in this season is get us, His people, His church, sorted out. Because He loves us, but also because He loves them. He needs us to be sorted out to reach them. And so we are in and out of that season. I believe the Word of the Lord's come a second time. Same call. But now we respond differently. And then you read on that story, and the whole of Nineveh repented because this man finally listened to the Lord. And God relented. And then Jonah was still mad because he had an issue with those people. Are you listening, friends? I was so tempted to preach on Jonah tonight, but I want to be faithful to God. But go read the book of Jonah. And all I want to tell you is this. God has not changed the call. He's restored the call to His church in our great nation. And we are that church. And we are those people. And God's not changing it up for us. He's bringing us back to changing us to walk in the plans and the purposes of God. I've often said that destiny or purpose is revealed far more in seasons of confrontation and crisis than it is in seasons of convenience and comfort. 
pre-COVID, convenient and comfort and church was this and we did this and we came together and all fitted around our schedule and we had the church so attractive for people that we stopped attracting God. I've often thought, what would the church look like if it was built to attract God, not people? It would probably look a little different. God's brought us back in this season, in seasons of crisis and seasons of confrontation. And we have been confronted as the church in our nation through all sorts of things. But God has brought us back to destiny and purpose. Seasons of comfort and convenience. We're just running with our own thing. And God allowed some of this to happen to help us come back to the things that really matter. And I believe this weekend there's a marching call. There's a marching. We're getting some marching orders. I love how he wants to minister over us and lift our head. And I believe all that. But I do believe we've been through some stuff where he's now saying, I'm calling you to attention. Come back and get on with what I've called you to do. And I'm not saying we're not doing it. I'm saying keep doing that. And in this region, friends, there's been a lot sown and a lot happening. And and I'm just asking you, please, for the sake of the kingdom of God, keep going with the plans and the purposes of God. Find new strategies. But the word of God doesn't change. The implementation is temporal, but truth is eternal. We've got to find ways in God. He predestined. He chose He determined the place and times where you and I should live. He chose you and I to be here for such a time as this. And I think it's the craziest time on earth. And how do we do this? And there's no books that can tell us how. I've phoned my dad many times saying, Dad, you let NCMI. Tell me how to handle this season. He said, Tyron, I've never let NCMI through this season. I'm like, that does not help. (laughs) You know what he told me? Go to the Father. He knows what to do. Pastors, go to the Father. He knows what to do. People, go to the Father, not to your leaders, to the Father. And listen to the voice of the Father. He's not wanting us to be ignorant in our time and season. He wants us to know exactly what's happening. I think through this crazy season, the church, friends, we the church, have expanded in in unexpected and irreversible ways. There's no going back. Please hear that tonight. We can't, we can't, can't go back to pre-COVID. It doesn't exist. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We can't go back there. We're here now. We've got a fresh season of going for the things that God, and maybe some of what was pre-COVID will come back to us, but we're not going back pre-COVID. We cannot be nostalgic for a season that no longer exists. God's doing things. God's done things. And and I believe in this new season, I'll say to the pastors this morning, I believe in this new season, deep is going to be more meaningful than wide. Intimacy will become everything and numbers will mean very little. Performance will fail, but fires will rise. Fruitfulness will override results driven. Big difference between fruit and results. And I think we had some great results and COVID hit and it's all gone. Why? Because it wasn't fruit. But fruit lasts. I believe radical will thrive. You're laughing at me. This is how you all sound. How do you think I feel? I laugh at you. Yeah, all right. 
Are you laughing? Because this is how you sound, all right? All of you. Yes, it is. Hamburgers and Coke and... Yes, it is, Kevin. Yes. yes, you do. I know you do. Anyway, fruitfulness will override results. Radical will thrive and nominal will fall away. And it is. Authentic will beat the polished. The slick, the show is over. Authentic has come back. Prophetic innovation will outstrip religion. And I believe a deeper meaning will rise while old structures will fall. God's allowing that. God's doing that. There is a tearing down of the old, but there's a building up of the new. Get ready for the times are a-changing. And we, the church, need to change with the times into what it is God's called us to. Are you there? I believe, and I've said this, I'm trying to go somewhere here tonight so the other guys who minister can then pick up and go for it. But we've got to acknowledge the season we've been in. It would be crazy just to pretend it never happened or move on. God's done deep things and He's doing deep things. We've got to acknowledge. And I've said this, but I believe there are three major things happening. Maybe more, but for me, three major things that have been happening in this season. And number one is that man has been sinning like never before. Now, man has always sinned since the fall. But it seems as if sin has kind of increased and it's been made known everywhere and it seems like nobody cares anymore. It's been exposed in the church and out of the church, in government, in the, everybody seems to be sin. The sin of man has been exposed like never before. We're seeing it all the time and it, it just seems like consequences are not there, but God cares. We should care. And sin is real, and people are sinning like never before. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, actually they talk about this godlessness in last days. And are these the last days? Who knows? But we're closer to the last days today than we were in 2019. But it warns, the Bible warns, in last days there will be godlessness. Let me read quickly. It says, but understand this, that in the last days very dangerous times will come. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, impelled by greed. Boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. Are you hearing? Unloving, meaning devoid of natural human affection. Calloused and inhumane. Irreconcilable, malice. Gossips, devoid of self-control, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, religion, although they have denied its power for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. And you know what Paul says? Avoid such people. This is harsh, but we've got to understand the season. This describes the world today. And it's getting worse, and it's going to get worse. And so the sin of man is there, and the response is avoid such people. So man is sinning. 
like never before. At the very same time man sins, which is hard enough, bad enough, the devil is raging. <laughs> yeah, he's going to get a mention tonight because we need to know what he's up to. Man sinning, the devil's raging. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking for someone to devour. And the, quest, the, the response is, resist him standing firm in the faith. I listen to people talk about the devil. He's like a mouse with a megaphone. He's just a big barker, but he's got no bite. Let me tell you, I have grown up in Africa. I've heard a lion roar. I've heard a lion roar pretty close to me when I've been in a truck and looking for animals and one over there and that thing just opens its mouth and just lets out a little grunt and you just about die of fear. Are you listening? It's not this little Disneyland, Disney World little lion. It was cute. I want to get it. This is a real thing. And the Bible says he walks around like a prowling lion. Roaring. This ain't no joke. I'm not giving him glory. I'm telling you, he's doing stuff in this season. So man's sinning and the devil's raging. And we all quote Ephesians 6. Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and authority. Yes, but it's still a battle. And it's not against people. It's not against blood people. It's against principalities and power. And there's this devil who's raging while man is sinning. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I love Eugene's Peter version, Eugene Peterson's version. He says, this is no weekend war that we'll walk away from and forget about it in a couple of hours. It's not a Sunday battle. He said, this is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. Friends, we, we have two kingdoms in conflict here. We should not be surprised by the opposition and the battle that's ablaze. Because the kingdoms are in conflict. They are not side by side pick a kingdom. Choose if you want to be in that kingdom or that. We can't coexist. I love the language, but it's not in the Bible to coexist. Pick a kingdom and let's coexist and one day they will see. No, there are two kingdoms and they are at war and they are kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. And if you're not in the one, you're in the other and you're not buddies. C.S. Lewis says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Let me say this, my friends. You cannot take kingdom ground without opposition. But let me also say this, that the world is too strong for a church that is divided. You knew this was coming. We have to talk about this. The devil's raging. The devil is seething. The devil is using anything and anyone he can to divide. And he's using you and he's using me and he's using people in the church to go against each other. 
And if we are ignorant to His scheme and ignorant to His plan, we think our cause is a good cause. It's simply dividing the kingdom and the world is too strong for us. Even if we claim God before us, who can be against us? We're killing each other. We're taking each other out. And my dear friends, we're seeing it day in and day out and it hasn't settled. It's getting worse. Don't get quiet on me. This is true. Just know the season. Man's sinning, the devil's raging. I've said this, social media, I keep saying this, the best I have. Social media may not have enabled the lame to walk, but it has certainly enabled the dumb to speak. And we go at each other on social media and we wonder how good that is when we are dividing and bringing people down and we are playing into the raging enemy. The devil wants to destroy the church and he wants to use you. And he's using us on a cause rather than understanding the kingdom. This world, this season, this region is too strong for us to be divided. You can throw promises and stand before God and say, you do it, God. God says, unite. Yes. I'm going to just step on our toes a quick and say this. The most, I've realized this, the most cause militant Christians tend to be the most spiritually passive. They cause driven with no spiritual understanding. They do more harm in the kingdom than they would if they just understood the times and the season and what the devil's doing. And those of us who are political, let me just say this to you. If it's easier for people to guess your politics than your religion, then possibly your, your politics have become your religion. Now, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm saying don't stick to a party at the expense of the kingdom and fight for the kingdom while we fight each other. What's gone wrong? The devil is raging. And he's subtle. And he's, yes, it's not against flesh and blood, but he uses flesh and blood to go at each other. And mostly in the church to divide us so we can't reach the people we call to reach. So that's bad enough. You got, you got man and woman, all right? People sinning. Not just men, women too. You're good sinners too, ladies, just so you know. I, I can, sh yeah, all right. Ladies, you sin too. So people are sinning, just to let you know. The devil's raging. I mean, those two are pretty bad. I mean, come on. And at the same time, and this is where we're probably forgetting what's happening. God is shaking. Man is, people are sinning. <laughs> The devil is raging and God is shaking. And this is what's happening all at the same time. And if we're not careful, we can overemphasize the other two at the expense of what God's doing. God's in some of this, believe it or not. And God wants some of this to happen. I don't believe God sent COVID, but He allowed it. And I'll tell you why He allowed it, because it happened. And if it happened, it's because God knew it was coming and He allowed it. And I want to tell you, it's to do some of the shaking we read of in Scripture. And shaking's a good thing because when you get shaken, it shows what you anchored to. 
And we wouldn't know what we anchored to until the shaking takes place. And the Bible says, and we love to quote it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26. It says, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's be grateful for the shaking, because that which can be shaken is not kingdom. And so when the shaking happens, we all begin to honor the devil or go at each other, realizing that God's reminding us, I'm here too, shaking it all up. He's so good to us. I hate the shaking, but I'm so grateful for the shaking because this side of eternity, I can fix it, not think I'm living in something that I'm not. It's been hectic for me too, but I want to tell you, God loves us so much that He'll keep shaking, and we've got to be grateful for the shaking because that which stood stays kingdom. Give your attention to those things. The rest of it, let it go because we are in a new season. Are you there? If your whole world's been shaken, so has mine. If ministry's been shaken, so has mine. If this nation's been shaken, I'm in this nation too. It's all been shaken. And God's in it, and God's doing it, not because He despises us, because He loves us, and He wants to reveal. And when God shakes, it's to reveal what's inside. And I've always been this guy who believed that the shakings of God is always hard because it breaks down. But God's shown me over the season, it's not just the breaking down. The shakings of God breaks down. The shakings of God breaks open. When something gets shaken, something gets opened. Yeah. Stuff that was closed is open. Yeah. If you just think it's falling down, it's open. He, he, break, he shakes to break in. God wants to reveal Himself way more than we have a moment, something we keep going back to. He wants in in His church. He wants in in our meetings. He wants to be God again and stop us tagging Him on when we are ready to do something with Him. In the shaking, He breaks in. In the shaking, He breaks us through. He breaks ground. Ground's been broken. The shaking breaks things up. We've, we've got to, in this new season, believe the stuff we've been fighting and trusting for is now ready for something to happen because of the shaking. It's not all bad. Got to think like that. It's like, okay, God, what have you shaken? Doors have opened in this season that would never have opened if we didn't have this season. And in that, so have doors closed. And we've got to know the difference. Some of us are praying for God to open the doors that were closed, that were open, not knowing that God is the great door closer as well as the great door opener. And so I want to tell you the breakthroughs that we've had in our togetherness through this season, because God opened doors, because other doors closed in this season. We've got to get better at seeing those doors and know the shaking is opening things. It's breaking through, breaking down, breaking open. And we've got to trust in this season for those things again. The hearts of people in our nation, while they are wicked, they are open. And as the cities shut down, the hearts of the people in our cities opened up. And they're starting to open up the cities again. The hearts are beginning to close. Let's get on with what God's called us to do. Ephesians chapter 1, let's read quickly. Verse 15. 
For this reason, Paul writes in the back of this great predestined and the will of God and the purpose. I mean, it's just, I wanted to read it all, but time-wise, go read the whole of Ephesians. Read, Ephes- read the whole book. Read the whole Bible. <laughs> but I, for this reason, Paul says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. Josh read this. We've made reference to it already tonight. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know Him better. Headship, Christ, knowing Christ. The head needs His, the body needs the head back. Friends, the greatest thing we get is to know Him. And there's something about Jesus, because when you know Him, you want to know Him more. This is not studying of Him. This is not information. This, this is us with revelation to know Christ better. The greatest thing we get is Christ. Not ministry, not church, not buildings, not people, not family. Christ is our reward. And we've got to have that passion and that hunger. And Paul prays and he says, I keep asking. This is not a once-off prayer. This is a continued prayer. I keep asking that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Not so you can have wisdom and revelation, that you can know Him better. I remember hearing a rebuke from a, a pastor in India to this nation. And another pastor had fallen morally in our nation. And many are rejoiced. Yeah, you see, God's exposing. No, because they missed what they were about. And this pastor in India was broken and grieved. And and he said this. He said, it's so sad to see another brother fall in that nation in America. It's so sad. And, And then they said, you know what's sad for us is that when a pastor falls in America, it has such an effect on all the people. Because the people in America, in the church, are happy to go to Moses rather than to go up the mountain themselves to be with God. We'd rather go to the man of God or the person of God to tell us about God than go up that mountain ourselves and be with God. It's easier to have someone tell me about God than to go to God. But we have the privilege in this new covenant to go to God. And my dear friends, Paul prays that you know Him, not know about Him through some preacher, some pastor. Those days are done. We're not going to stand the, 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 the test of time and walk in the plans if it's secondhand grandfather relationship with God. And I know we know this, but this is what it means. Pursue Christ. I, I believe Jesus, the more we know Him, the more, the more we want to know Him. Knowing Him means entering into this relationship with Him where I believe He should dominate and influence all the thoughts of our, our, our thoughts and all our actions. Toza said this, worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. Verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, the very center or core of your being may be enlightened, flooded with light 
by the Holy Spirit in order that you may know the hope to which you've been called. I mean, we listened to the prophetic words this evening and the contributions, hope, knowing Him. It's all here. God's speaking, friends. He's speaking. He's got our attention. What will we do? Ah, Tyron, we know this. Not asking, do we know this? We know this well. But God's asking, are we going to live in the things He's called us to live in? This season has knocked most of our hope out. All the stuff we had faith in and all the things we believed and all this fruitfulness and all, and then suddenly, boom. And I listen to people and preachers in their honest, vulnerable state, despair. And I get it, but I want to tell you, God says this, and that's what the prayer is, that you'll know the hope, the hope, not talking to the world, talking to the church, the hope to which you have been called. <laughs> I love these truths. The divine guarantee, the confident expectation, so that you can see exactly what it is calling you to do. It's some of the references to that text. The riches of His glorious inheritance. Friends, we've been given purpose and a call, even in this time and season. And, and I feel like that hope needs to come back. And it's not going to be a cheer-led session where we cheerlead and pump each other up. It's revelation. Know Christ and know the hope to which you've been called. All of us. Not the preachers, not the pastors. Every person in this room. Even you who's undeserving and don't feel like you're anything. You have been given the hope to be called into something He's handpicked you for. For now in this region. And we need all hands on deck for this season. Regardless of the history you have. It's the now and the future. It is time. You've got to live with a sense of destiny. Even in shutdown, lockdown and whatever lies next. Sense of duty. You must say, Tyron, my thing, what I've got is nothing. It's not even worth, it's somehow in, when you read the Bible, which is a good thing to do, from Genesis to Revelation, and you realize that God doesn't need us, but God doesn't operate without us. Figure that out. I don't know. If I was God, I'd just say, you all watch me get this done, because you're taking so long. You don't know what you're doing. You're getting in the way, Jonah. Let me show you what I can do. But because when He created us, before the fall, with purpose and destiny to partner with Him. And He is not changing that, even if we don't want to be on board. So your 1%, my 1%, all that we're doing as 1% makes up His 99% that gives us 100%. And somehow through Scripture, we're feeding the 5,000. Why didn't He just feed them? Why do we have to go through all this? Go find what you've got. Come back. Okay, two loaves and five loaves and two fish. Why waste time? Because that's partnership. I'm not doing this without you is what God says. You can sit here and say, my thing, our church, our people, we don't have much. Until you bring yours, he won't do his. We've just got to settle that tonight and say, we've got to bring what we have. Even if it's irrelevant to Him, it matters. Our 1% with His 99% makes 100%. Live with that destiny tonight, friend, regardless of what people are saying about the church. A sense of dedication, a sense of determination. Got to live with those things. Verse 19 
and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from dead and seated Him as His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. I want to tell you, Paul prayed for the church to know the power that they've been given. This isn't weird. This is His power of which we need more than ever before. And I'm convinced the reason we're not seeing the power that He's promised us is because we're too busy relying on tricks, ministries, what we can do, programs rather than power. And God wonderfully has rescued us, His people again, and said, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. And so suddenly, spiritual momentum matters more than physical momentum. But I'm watching us get busy with physical momentum and putting spiritual things aside, and we're going to miss the point. It's never going to be without His presence. <laughs> We don't need tricks. We don't need flesh. We don't need to flesh it out. We need spirit giving life to spirit. Friends, if you just read the Bible, the early church, they weren't just spirit filled, which is great. They were spirit moved. They were spirit led. And they were spirit sent. Somehow we want to have the spirit filled meetings and we all feel good and have a moment and those are awesome. And then we go back to our programs, our thing, what we can do. And God's like, that's not going to work. Spirit filled. If you're really filled with the Spirit, then you're Spirit sent. And look what happened when the Spirit sends. You go to the right places, you go compelled by the Spirit, and you get the job done. And effectiveness is there when you're compelled by the Spirit, rather than I read a book and this is what they told me to do. I went to my pastor and they said we should do try this trick. How about we go to him and let the Spirit lead us? Pastors, for a minute, can I step on your toes as I did this morning? Let me say this. Let the Spirit lead us. This stuff we've been called to that needs to be done by the Spirit leading us to it. And it's not always going to make sense. Looking back, we're going to go, oh, that was brilliant. But in it, we don't know. But it's Spirit-led. The church that is man-managed is doomed to fail. And we've seen that over the last 12 months. 35,000 churches, according to Darian. 35,000 churches in this nation have shut down during COVID and will never open again. 35,000. The church should never shut down. Maybe can't gather, but not shut. And I'm not throwing rocks at those people. I'm just saying, what's happened? Man-driven, man-centered, all about what we can come up with, concept books, re-preaching of those who wrote books. We preach in their books every Sunday to people. Man's stuff to people, thinking God's in it. And then when it shakes, it all comes down. And we go, what happened? What happened is it's not God. Sorry. The Bible, Him, led. We, 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 yeah, anyway, that's just, and this isn't the past. That's all of us. Stop reading the books and come back to the Word. Yeah. Let the Spirit talk to us and let Him show us the way forward and what we've been called to. Don't tell me you're Spirit-filled if you're doing your thing. Yeah. Sorry, it's true. I'm challenged by this Word too, trust me. It's been wisely said, anything done in our own strength will fail miserably. Or succeed even more miserably. 
We cannot accomplish God's ends with the world's means. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Verse 22, and God placed all things. Let me be an American preacher. Say this, all things. I love being an American preacher. God placed all, and Kevin, that is how we sound, you sound. And God placed all things under His feet, all things, and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. Position. And I, I want to tell you, friends, we get so religious when we forget we are where we are because He put us where we are. We get so good at telling people they're not. you only where you are because of where He's seated. We're positioned with Him. And when you minister from that place, you can't be religious. When you minister from that place, you can't look down at people because you're only up because He put you up. So that position is where I am. And it's unshaken where I can't fall down. But others can come to where we are because that's what Jesus intended for all people. So what hinders us being effective? A couple of quick things and then I want to land with a few challenges. What hinders us in being effective? Undermining His divine call. I've watched, I've listened, I've seen us downplay what we're doing because we don't understand it's divine. This thing we do is not a man thing. That gathering you have is not your gathering. That thing you're doing, whether people see it or not, doesn't matter. It's divine. And the moment you forget it's divine from Him, you begin to reduce it and stop doing it and stop being faithful in it. And right there, we become ineffective. I've watched people undermining the divine call of God, allowing others to tell us how bad it is. You're useless. You don't. Friend, come back tonight. The thing you do is divine, so don't mess with it. The best way to be responsible with what God gives you is give it back to Him in surrender and then do what He says we're to do. William Booth, which is Kevin Booth's mate, he says this, the greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. The greatness of a man's power is the measure of his surrender. This thing is divine. When you lose that, you're in danger of being ineffective. And we've seen that in this season. We need to come back to understanding. Ask questions. Ask this. Don't, don't get questions. I think it's good to ask this. Who am I? And don't walk around asking that question, who am I? But when you settle who I am, then are you true to who you're called to be? It's so essential in finishing the will of God. So essential in... Understand. Just settle this. We don't have to compete and look around. I celebrate the people around you, but I'm not you. And I don't have to be you. And you don't have to be me. And, and we're all trying to be like each other. And the church is all trying to act like each other. Stop. Who are you? Paul. He says, Paul, that's who I am. An apostle. That's what I do. By the will of God. That's my authority. To the Ephesians church. That's my sphere. Settled. I'm not arm wrestling for something. I am that. I do that. And that's the, the authority I have because of God. But we are like jostling for position and fight. Who are you? Ask that question. Are you settled in your call? Have you really settled in who God's called you to be? Not what others want us to be. Am I who I should be? Am I doing what I should be doing? Are you? 
That's the challenge tonight. Are you doing what you should be doing? Am I where I should be or am I running away like Jonah? Can I say laying hold of your call means owning both your potential and your limitations. It's liberating to know your limitations. It's okay to be limited. It's okay not to be everything. God didn't make you everything. There's only one who is everything and it's Jesus. And we want to develop who we are, but we don't want to be worried about having limits. I need others when I realize I'm limited. That's God's way, friends. Ask this question, who am I in the context of the church? It's not just you and Jesus. It's in the context of the church. Jesus ain't doing something outside of His people. It's in His church, through His church, essential. I don't care what the government says. The Bible is very clear. Church is essential. We don't have to prove it. Just be it. (laughs) Who am I in the context of His kingdom? Ask yourself that question. It gives value to what you're doing. And then who am I in the context of the world? This is a global thing we've been called to. And you've got to answer that question. When you can answer some of that, you find the divine purpose of God, I believe. And I've had to ask that many times. Not to question myself, to settle this thing. It's divine. It matters to God. And I'm going to be faithful in it. Another thing that stops us is being unaware of what God's doing. So we said earlier, ignorance is not bliss. Not in the kingdom. Proverbs 29, 18 says, When people can't see what God's doing, they fall and stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what God reveals, that's where they're most blessed. Don't be distracted in the season by what God's not doing because you don't know what He is doing. I want to tell you, this has been a challenge for me because I've been so distracted. What about this and how do we do this? And the Lord's wonderfully just taken me to show me some of what He's doing. And, And I'm actually happy with that. Okay, I'm not, I'm not settled, but I, okay, God, you're, you're doing stuff. And while I want to get out of this season, I don't want to miss what you're doing in this season and get back to what I want. Yeah. Are you there? This isn't for leaders, for all of us. Yeah. You lose that, you're going to lose your way and not be effective anymore. Yeah. We've got to see what God's doing in this season, my friends. You know, prayer, we all know we're supposed to pray, but prayer is not monologue. Prayer is not us telling God what He needs to do and telling God what He needs to give us. That's not prayer. That's you telling God to do something. Prayer is dialogue. Meaning we talk and He talks. And let me tell you, this season requires less of us telling Him and more of Him talking to us. We have to, friends, come back to tell me what to do. Show me what you're doing. Reveal to me the seasons we're in. What is it you want me to do? Not what is everyone else doing. What about me, Lord? He wants you to know. Another thing is unaware, unable to hear God. I, I, I feel like God's speaking, but we're not hearing. We're unfamiliar with His voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Can I tell you, we know a lot of voices, but maybe not His voice. And He wants us to know His voice again. I think with the arrival of social media, we're so good at listening to ourselves that we stop listening to Him. Please, shut the noise and the preachers and the people and go listen to what your Father has to say to you. This is our time. The one who does not expect God to speak will discount every time God does speak. 
Can I also say this? It's hard to hear God's word or voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. You know what? I mean, most of us go to God for confirmation rather than direction. How about we go to him to direct and then let's look for some confirmation. I'm telling you then we'll walk in some bigger things, more effective things and stop wasting our time with stuff. Are you okay, friends? What about this one? Unwilling to do what he says. Oh, it's one thing to hear the Lord. It's great to hear God. I mean, I've heard God some recent times that has been wow. It's been so liberating. I don't have to come up with the next thing for the next. God speaks and you're like, all right. But then there's a response, which I don't like. I was recently in a meeting. Friends, I want to tell you, this meeting I was in, the worship was I mean, it's like for me, I felt like I was in heaven. And don't freak out, okay? I wasn't. But I was so pleased with this worship. I, I was sitting in the back, and I mean, it's one of those meetings where it had to be God. You know, you know it's not like the muso was, come on, shout louder, and tell the Lord you love him, all the cheerleading. No, no, this was a God moment. I, I looked around, and I'm like, everybody was on their knees worshiping. And I was like, back, and I was sitting in the back, and I was like, and, and this is what I felt. God, you must be pleased. This must please you. Because I'm pleased by what people are doing for you. And I felt the Lord drop Luke chapter 6, verse 46 into my heart. Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? I, didn't, I wasn't leading the meeting, fortunately. But I, I, I'm pretty gutsy. But I didn't have the guts to get up and say anything. That we are having these moments and encounters. And listen, we need them and they're awesome. But that's awesome to have encounters, friends, with all due respect. And to tell him how much he's awesome and how awesome this Lord is. And we were reading scripture out of Revelation and the heavens and the rejoicing and the angels and the elders falling. I mean, it was just one of those heaven moments. But majority of people in that room would have stood up and gone back to their normal life the next day. Nothing changed. Why call me Lord and don't do what I say? Are you cool? I'm challenged. I was like, this is heaven. The Lord's like, why you say that when you're not doing what I've called you to do? That's what blesses him. These are awesome moments. We need them. But what are we doing with what he says? Unwilling to do what he says. It's called selective hearing. And we have it. And it's been exposed through COVID. What about unmet expectations? Can I just please challenge you tonight? Can I step on your toe? Some of us in this room have unmet expectations. And the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm going to just speak straight. Some of us in this room have sick hearts because hope has been deferred. But he goes on and says, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I, I, I just feel prophetically some of us tonight have unmet expectation and we are living with regret and pain. And I want to tell you, it makes you ineffective. People have disappointed you, no doubt. People have left us, no doubt. Spouses, people, friends, I don't know. Maybe you'd be disappointed by God. It didn't happen like you thought it was. I want to tell you, we are living in answered prayer today. It just happened differently to what I prayed. 
But God's shown me that the stuff we cried out for pre-COVID is now happening. But gee, you, you have to look hard to see it's answered prayer. And so, just tonight, some of us, maybe unmet expectation. I'm telling you, it's limiting us from being affected. And I, I'm trying to be honorable here tonight and honest. But you can do nothing with this or you can do something with it. But it's not a tonight thing. It's been an ongoing thing. And tonight's the night to get it sorted out. While I'm here, unresolved hurts. Oh, here we go. You know what this season has exposed? Hurt people in the church. Hurt leaders. They're oozing pain. It's like something, and again, I'm not pointing fingers. Get healed tonight. It's not to be suppressed and hope it goes away. It's unresolved. When it's unresolved, it keeps festering. It's getting worse and worse. Someone said this, bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. No, no, you're dying while the other person is living the dream. This region has faced stuff. I'm, I'm begging. I'm begging. Would you resolve your hurts? They're there. And they're not going away. They keep coming up and they're getting worse. We need... To be healed. Hurt people hurt people. You know, my dad used to preach, you got 30 seconds to get healed. Remember that? And we all got offended. Then he said, actually, no. Then he said, no, actually, you got one second to get healed. God's big enough to heal. You don't have the right to carry hurts if you're a leader in the church. You don't have the right because you're ineffective when you hurt. And some of us are hurt and have unresolved hurts. And I'm begging tonight, get free so we can all move together into the bigness. And, and I have the reason. I, I'm hurt too. Some of you have hurt me. I'm sure. <laughs> Just saying. I've been hurt. Man, who hasn't? But it's, it's resolved. That's why I can't even remember who you are. No, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just telling you, you're limiting your future. And you're limiting our future if you don't get it healed tonight. It's including secondhand offense, which is probably worse than the offense. Are you there? People are mad at me that I've never met. I'm serious. I've never had a conversation, and they despise me. I mean, me. I'm not my, me, just by my position. And someone got hurt by me. I don't even know who. And they told someone, and now that person hates me, and that person who got hurt by me is my friend. But now they got a whole group of people who despise me because of their second hand, third hand, and we just keep playing the game. Some of us in this room, maybe we weren't hurt by that person, but we're carrying second-hand offense. Get healed. It's tonight. Trumpet sound. Let's go. I know you want to throw rocks at me. Don't. I'm trying to walk carefully but honorably before God. Tonight, this region needs it sorted out. You can't live with poison inside. And expect it eventually not to harm us. It's got to be dealt with. 
Let me step on more toes while I'm here. Unfulfilled, uh, unfulfilled in your call and your walk. There's always more. I get that. And you've got to live for the more. But you better live in what you've got now. There's an unholy restlessness in our togetherness. And because we're pioneers, because we're apostolic, straight up, we're all about the next thing and the next thing. But we actually, some of it's unholy. We've got to finish what God's called us to. We've got to complete some tasks in this season. And we've got to not have this unholy restlessness and call it pioneering. Some of us are always looking for the next thing because we don't like the thing we've got. Be faithful with what you have. Then God can give you the next. But there's this unholy, and I want to join that church, and I've got to Chicago, and I want to move to Chicago. And I want to, stop. I'm glad you want to move, but where's God put you? And are you finished where you are? I mean it. Some of our young people are like, yes, there's a global inheritance, but you better finish where you're at. Don't be rushed. And I want to get out of this country. I'm telling you at times, I'm like, just get me out of America right now. I can't handle the politics of our great nation. But God put me here. This is my home. This is where God put me. And I've got some job to do here. Can't say, oh, I'm pioneering. I'm just going to leave. No, no. Stay and do what He's called you to do. Don't be unholy in your restlessness. If you're frustrated with your leaders, doesn't mean you should go and plant a church. Let me just say, church planting is not gathering disgruntled Christians. That ain't church planting. That's just gathering disgruntled Christians. And you got them everywhere in this region. That's not planting. Planting is taking ground, establishing, saving people, putting them in, raising them up and releasing them, not just getting people unhappy in their churches. They are, your church has lots of those people. Some of you are unhappy in your church. Not are you happy, are you finished the call? Is that okay, guys? I'm not saying don't leave. Check, he's leaving already. But Thank you. Do I need that? Must I cool down? Calm down? Thanks. What did you put in this, bro? Ah, I know you, bro. Jesus. Whoa, okay. Are you, I want to watch you over this. You're not putting poison in that, dude. Wait for me to die. Is that what we're doing here? Thank you. I'm nearly finished. You guys, is this to tell me to shut up? No. All right. <laughs> Cheers. Okay. I'm I going to, please don't interrupt. I'm nearly finished. <laughs> I, I really want to challenge us. There's more, but be fulfilled in your call. Is an unholy restlessness. I think so much of today's lack is a result of unfocused yesterday. Complete obedience establishes a generational echo. We have to complete what God's given us to do. Legacy is the outcome of focused investment. Don't allow the temporal to determine your value. Don't allow this season to determine your call. Don't allow what you're facing now to determine your future. Allow the voice of the Father to echo and speak over us. Another thing quickly is that we underestimate the power of our response. God's got this. God's doing this. God's in this. No, no. We talked about it. God called us. And our response determines the miracle. We underestimate the power 
of our response to what God can do. God can do it without us, but He chooses not. And you can tell Him to do it and cheer Him along and have prayer meetings and respond. The power's in our response. Tonight, there's some response that's needed to ignite the power of what God's called us to. If people lived out your obedience, what would the kingdom of God look like? So as I land, and I'm crash landing Darian, I'm preaching at his church on Sunday, and he's like, hey, I was like, dude, I've got to get to this flight. And he says, I said, can we do it? He goes, well, it depends on the pre- preacher's crash landing. And, sorry, that was an inside joke. <clears throat> Not that funny, I guess. We laughed, I did. Okay, I'm landing, crash there. Here we go. The good news is I'm not preaching tomorrow, so come, all right? I'm getting all these other guys to preach. You've had enough of me, and I've had enough of you, so let's... I'm joking. That's a joke. Sheesh, I'm in trouble. Okay. Sorry, Lord. I love you. Let me land with this. A few things. There's a battle ablaze. While the battle belongs to the Lord, we are still in the fight. And I want to challenge us in our togetherness on some things we need to fight for. And they're all a series in themselves. But, but I, I want to ask you, please, to own this with me. If we're going to be effective in our season that lies ahead of us. We need to fight for our revelation of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, we know this. No, we don't. I feel like this season God revealed so much about His church and exposed so much. And, and one of the biggest things I believe is exposed is that the church's foundation in this nation has been built on the wrong foundation. Yeah. It's been built on ministries, or gifted leaders, or or some rather than on Christ. I feel like this season God's allowed us a season to reconnect with our bridegroom king. And coming out of this season, while we've reconnected with him, it's going to be a church that will do more for him, not out of religion or duty, but out of relationship and love for our king. I think of all the causes, even in this room. I think of NCMI and all the churches in partnership. And God's given every church and every member and every believer a cause from the kingdom, for the kingdom. I'm telling you, it's not wrong. God gave you a cause. It's something you're so passionate about. It's from God. You've got grace for it. You've got faith for it. It's needed. It's from God. But here's the problem. According to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18, that Christ must have first place in everything. What I've realized is that when we put that cause from Christ, from God, with our grace and our passion, and when we put that next to Christ, it always takes the place of Christ. It's not Jesus and anything. When it becomes Jesus and anything, that anything takes the place of Jesus Every time it's happened in me, it's happened in you, and happens in the church. Why does it say first place in everything? Because everything else must come under Christ, not next to Christ. So can you imagine if we in this room would take that God-given passion and mercy and whatever we're about 
whatever it is, it's good, but it has no value. The only thing that gives it value is Christ. It's got to come under Christ. Then we can function well together. So don't put your thing aside. Put it under Christ. And then watch us function well together. It's that revelation of Jesus. A correct view of Christ gives us a correct view of everything else. So we try and correct views without Christ, you're finished. Fight for our revelation of Jesus. There is no hope without that revelation. Secondly, fight for our responsibility, mission. Bored soldiers are dangerous. And if we're not on mission, we end up taking each other out. We've been given a global mission. I, I want to just tell you this. It, it, Jesus was asked in, in Acts chapter 1. The disciples went to Jesus and said, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were mixing nationalism and politics and religion and putting it all together. And Jesus looked at him and said, It's not for you to know times or dates that my father has said by his own authority. Don't get caught up in that stuff. We get caught up in that stuff every day in the church. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. Not do witnessing, be witnessing. It's the identity of my people to be witnesses because of His power. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So Jesus isn't about us and about Israel. It's about you getting on with the mission. Matthew 24. Jesus talking about end times. I want to know what he says, not what the prophets are saying. Not the blood moons and the sun and the, all the nonsense. Of, forgive me if that's your thing. But you duped to believe something that hasn't happened. What did Jesus say about end times? Read Matthew 24. And he began to say, and these things will begin to happen. And a nation will fight against nation. War and pa- pandemic and all this stuff is the signs of the beginning of the end. But Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So two times asked two questions, and what is Jesus' response? Don't get caught up in vaccines. Is it the mark of the beast? No, the mark of the beast doesn't bring the end. The devil doesn't bring the end. The Antichrist doesn't bring the end. Whatever your thing is, is not the end. Jesus said his thing, the kingdom of, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached. And that's what brings the end. Nationalism, politics. Who's in the White House? Who do we vote for? What brings the end? This gospel. Not in America, to the uttermost parts of the earth. You You know, friends, (laughs) I read a statistic. I heard a statistic about finances. We need to to reach lost, and we all got a heart for the lost. I mean, I listen to people talk about their city and all the lost people. But at least those people have at least somehow heard the gospel. I've heard in America, I don't, I mean, you might not agree with this, but in every city in America, within 24 hours, somebody in that city, no matter what city, has the opportunity to hear, God, hear about Jesus. 24 hours, somebody in any city in America has the opportunity to hear about Jesus. But there are unreached nations 
where they've never heard. It's every 30 years someone gets to hear about Jesus. And we care more about our lost people than the unreached people. I'm not trying to make us feel bad. That's what we called to. This and that. And I heard the statistics of finances in our nation, in the church in our nation, of what we give to the uttermost parts of the earth. 20 billion is given to fraud. Not given, taken. Embezzlement in the church. 20 billion dollars in our nation. Houston, Los Angeles, we have a problem. Not Houston. I'm not in Houston. I was going to use this. Houston, we have a problem. No, no. We have a problem. 20 billion embezzlement. 9 billion. Uh, billion or million? I better get this right because you're going to all come sue me after this. This is America. This is America, right? So let me get this right. So, uh, okay, well, there's 7.8 billion people in the world, 3.3 billion unreached. 10.327 people groups, 10,300. Okay, so in 4.5 unreached people groups, 80%, 86% of the unreached people in the 10, uh, 1040 window. There's a region there waiting for the gospel. The reason we don't is because it's difficult, it's dangerous, and it's expensive. They say $350,000 for one convert for the unreached. That's what it costs with training, with Bible. Now, again, I don't know how they get their stats, but it's a lot of money for one convert. A lot easier to go and just win someone down the street here than to actually win the unreached. So we just like, mm, don't worry about it. Finances in the U.S. Here we go. $50 billion embezzlement from churches. $8 billion we spend on conferences. Two billion for the unevangelized. Two billion. Which means 0.01 cent from every dollar we give to the unreached as the church in America. I'm not trying to make us feel bad. It seems it's not on our radar. We've got to fight for our mission. Here and there. It's ours, and we're called to do it together. Fight for our mission, for our responsibility. Can I say fight for our unity, our relationships? I mean, it's come through so much for this time and the prayer, and please understand this. I mean, we hear so much about unity. If we don't unite, God can't command His blessing. He won't. We can do all the tricks and have all the equips. We unite around his purpose together. Where there is unity, God commands blessing. We've got to fight for this unity, friends. We've got, to, we've got to contend. If God put us together, then let's work it out. If he hasn't, well, then we don't need to, and we'll see you in heaven. But he has. You can't get away from that, so let's work it out. I, I want to uni, unify with you, and I, I want to ask you to fight with me for unity. Amen. For the generations to come, to not inherit our mess. Yes. To us to just hopefully get over ourselves. I hope that you're hearing this. Fight for unity. But while we fight for unity, fight for diversity. 
As much as we want unity in Psalm 133, where there's unity, God, come on. We also need to be diverse. And not for the sake of diversity, because God made us diverse. And we best celebrate that, rather than make everyone the same. What a weak people we'll be if we're all the same. And we all try and make each other the same and act the same. Well, God didn't. So let's rejoice in the fact we're not the same. And as much as we contend for unity, we better contend for diversity. And not the world's diversity, the diversity of how God made us and how we express who we are as churches in this world that we're living in. And we celebrate all the gifts, not the ones we like. The, the, the range that He's given us. I love the diversity of it. I really do. It irritates me sometimes, I admit. And some people really irritate me. And the way they minister, I'm like, mm, I wouldn't do that. But it's not me. I wouldn't say that. It, I didn't say it. They did. I'm sure I irritate you. I, I don't know how, but I'm sure I would irritate you. <laughs> but, but what I'm trying to say is it's the celebration of we're all doing it for the King. God doesn't put us as friends together. He puts us in families. And, and He takes what doesn't belong and He makes us belong. And we've got to stop looking at the differences and start rejoicing in who we are together. And we wouldn't do it like that, but we need you to do it like that so we can reach people like you. We've got to stop put, putting people down and start celebrating the diversity. We've got to contend for that. As much as we need unity, we've got to have diversity. And lastly, we've got to contend for our shared future. Not a future. I've put down, I put these notes together one day, and I was like, we've got to contend for our future. And then I felt God say, no, no, not our future. A shared future. I sound like you? Don't laugh. You, you just look around you, please, just for a minute. I mean, embarrass each other. Look at this. This is not natural. This is not natural. It's not to be natural. It's a God thing. And what we're doing today and what we're doing for now has generational effects. Generations are coming after us. And we've got to fight together for their future and our future. And God's linked us. We best walk together, well together. And we contend for this in this region. Because we are handpicked by God to be here for such a time as this. To express Him in His bigness. Not to clone Him in what we want Him to be by the people we want around us. I want to say if we can contend for some of those things. Fight for. Fight for. We will stay effective till Jesus comes back. But if we begin to downplay and downtry and not... And, and the world is making us do that. If we keep playing into the hands of the devil and the enemy, we lose it all. And I'm not, it's not a gun to our head tonight. It's a challenge from the Father. It's time. The word of the Lord came. You've been now in the belly of the whale. The same words come. Adjust accordingly and let's do what he's called us to do.